On this episode of That Was a Show. How would they get eggnog? How anything with this show? It makes no <laughs> sense. Where could they possibly be going with this? Well, it's obviously going to be the real Santa. They're actually cutting to a Santa farming montage here. Well, he's got to help rebuild society. You think she's going to make a move on Santa? She might. She's pretty horny. Oh, and now Santa is definitely hopping in the sex pile. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys hear that? No. He said, I killed Mrs. Claus and all the elves. <laughs> Welcome, one and all, to our second very special episode. It's the That Was a Show Holiday Spectacular. That Was a Show? The podcast about failed or forgotten sitcoms from the 80s and 90s, starring Bryn Burney, Aaron Yeager, and Andrew Helmer as Barry. A Radio Gizmo production. <laughs> I just really liked the sound of Holiday Spectacular. You're going to find it's a lot more low-key than your regular Christmas special. We'll be operating at like a seven out of 10. Yeah, exactly. But here we are. And we're really, really glad that you joined us. This is Bryn. I'm here with my co-host in podcasting and life, Aaron Yeager. Hello. And we're also joined by our other co-host. He is with us remotely. It's Andrew Helmer, a.k.a. Barry. Oh, hello. So Barry is with us. <laughs> I like it. Barry is with us remotely. He's sort of with us in spirit, kind of like the ghost of Christmas present. Come in and know me better, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have a sip of my consolation candy cane latte. <laughs> Aaron was very dis <laughs> he was very disappointed that we weren't doing the in-person uh, recording. So I promised that we would get him a special latte. Because um, I'm a huge extrovert. Yeah, he is. It's been hard for him. Um, social distancing and self-isolation has been really hard for all the extroverts out there. So just a warm greeting to all of you. We see you. We know you're struggling. <laughs> that said, the abundance of caution over health risks for a borderline hypochondriac Jew is something I've been training for my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I really <laughs> wanted us to do a holiday-themed episode because I love the holidays and I love holiday-themed episodes of sitcoms. I've looked forward to it every year since I was a little kid in the 90s to today, like rewatching a lot of them. And I just thought it would be fun to just kind of sit around as friends and chat and, and talk about them. So let's, let's get to it. The assignment was for each of us to choose a few really memorable holiday-themed episodes of sitcoms from the 80s and 90s. And a note on that, they're actually not going to be from failed or forgotten sitcoms like we normally cover because frankly, a lot of them didn't quite uh, make it to the point where they could have holiday episodes. <laughs> Believe me, <laughs> I did the the research. But yeah, we, I think I think a lot of these sitcoms, it would have been really presumptuous of them yeah. to think that they were going to be around in December. <laughs> but don't worry, guys, like we do have one failed or forgotten holiday gem coming later. OK, so who's going to go first? Aaron, you go. I go first. 
Okay. Go, Jaeger. Okay, so I'm going to start with Frasier, season one, episode 12, titled Miracle on 3rd or 4th Street. Now, I did not remember this <laughs> specific episode from my childhood, but I knew that I wanted to delve into something from Frasier. The basic plot is that Frasier is super excited that his son Frederick is going to visit for Christmas because Frederick lives in a different city with uh, his ex-wife Lilith. But at the last minute, they change their mind. Frederick gets some opportunity to spend Christmas at like this place in Austria where they filmed The Sound of Music or something like that. So Frasier is really upset that he's not going to get to see his son. And he and his dad have this blowout argument over the decorations in the apartment uh, because the dad wants like festive, traditional festive Christmas decorations. And Frasier's doing his like super low key, pretentious, artful stuff. <laughs> and they start yelling Merry Christmas at each other angrily, louder and louder, back and forth with increasing intensity which is a really funny and memorable scene. So even though I had forgotten a lot of this episode, as soon as I saw that yelling match, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that <laughs> there, was, it that is. Was, there it is, that was it. And then what happens is Frazier ends up taking Bulldog's Christmas shift at the radio station so that Bulldog can visit his family. And Frazier spends Christmas alone in the recording studio at the radio station, taking calls from people who are sad to be alone on Christmas. Aww. And then he Aww. goes to a diner and eats dinner alone in this like kind of rundown diner. But then the episode transitions into something that is actually legitimately very touching. He eats this meal alone in this diner amongst some other men who appear to be, I don't know, maybe they're homeless or in some way like down and out men who are in this diner with him. And then he finishes his meal and he's getting ready to leave and he realizes that he forgot his wallet back at the office so he can't pay. And these other guys in the diner, they scrounge together a dollar here, 50 cents here from everyone in the diner to pay for Frazier's meal. And he's trying to tell them not to, please don't share what little money you have with me. I don't like I shouldn't be getting the help. And he's trying to stop them, but they won't take no for an answer and they pay for his meal. And one of them remarks that every other day of the year is for the wealthy people, but uh, Christmas is for guys like us. And then makes a reference to when he says wealthy people points out the window and says, like people who drive expensive foreign cars like that. And he's pointing at what we then realize is clearly <laughs> Frazier's, Frazier's car, car. <laughs> parked out front. Uh. And then when Frazier thanks them all really, really sincerely, and then he tries to slip out. And realizes he doesn't want to see them get into this expensive foreign car <laughs> because he doesn't want to make them feel bad for the great gesture that they just did. But he left his keys inside the diner and he tries to surreptitiously get them. But he realizes there's no way he's going to be able to get those car keys without everyone realizing what happened. And he doesn't want to make them feel foolish. So he ends up <laughs> walking home in like a blizzard without even a jacket on. And he just abandons his car. and. So it has a really nice ending. Yeah, that's a nice. That's I liked that. That seemed to have been built really nicely. I liked the escalation of that. Yeah, and I don't particularly remember that episode, but it sounds really nice, and I really want to watch it. And it just it's timely right now, right? Because there's a lot of people that are for you, yeah. you know yeah. a variety of reasons unable to be with their families on mm -hmm. Christmas, or at least not in a way that they normally would. So yeah, that's like very timely. And it's nice to see that he had some sort of human connection and mm -hmm. 
uh, yeah, I think that's important for everyone to remember. If you're away from your family, find a way to connect to humanity in a meaning meaningful way. Yeah, and I almost forgot the, the, the nicest little detail, which is at the end when he finally goes to leave again, one of the guys there tosses him a quarter and says, here, call your, call your dad and work things out. And, uh, and you can see, and I mean, this was a, a testament to the level of acting in the show. You can really see the emotional transition in Frasier's face over the course of this scene. Mm-hmm. And the, the, this is kind of a trope, the privileged person having a humbling experience that puts yeah. things into perspective on Christmas. Yeah. But they execute it in such a way in this particular show where it doesn't feel like someone's shoveling on like a heavy handed moral. It just feels like it's organically coming mm-hmm. out through a little like low key lived experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I like that. The only thing I remember about this episode period was uh, uh, I remember Frederick not being able to come for Christmas because he was going because he had the opportunity to go somewhere in Austria. And I remember as a young child just being like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> Barry, what's your first pick? So I will just say that um, I did not choose my favorites. Uh, okay. ever I chose random shows that I liked when I was yeah. younger um, and tried to remember the Christmas episodes from them Yeah, uh, and then I also whittled it down based on streaming availability as yeah. well <laughs> yeah. yeah and and to be fair to be fair the three of us collectively have one all time favorite that we'll get to a little later yes it, yes um, <laughs> so I chose uh, one of the Full House uh, Christmas episodes. It was the season six. I believe it was called A Very Tanner Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) And this one I was a little worried about because as much as I loved Full House growing up, Full House does not hold up, right? (laughs) It is is hard to watch. But I watched this episode and um, I really liked it. Maybe it's because I'm just in the Christmas mood or something. I don't know. Or maybe it's because like, you know, like the the sappy Tanner, you know, motif around Christmas. It feels fine. It feels just right. Right. Like just seeing a a, a, a loving family together. It was hard for me to shit on it. Um, it was funny just hearing Aaron uh, recite some of the stuff in the Frasier episode because I was like, wow, just trope, trope, trope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically, uh, there's a few plots in Full House. And I like that we've assumed that everybody out there knows what these shows are so we don't have to take time to be like full house is about a father who's raising three three little girls uh with the help of his brother-in-law and his best friend (laughs) they can google it anyone who's uh under 30 can just google what we're talking about (laughs) but we all pick shows that are definitely from the pantheon of great we we did we did yeah yeah so so this one, it has a few plots going on. The main plot is uh, is actually, it's a DJ episode, so watch Ooh. out there. So Steve <laughs> uh, Steve gets into a college uh, in Tampa Bay, uh, and he's going to have to move away, and DJ can't be happy for him because, uh, you know, she realizes that he's going to move, and he doesn't even care about us. He only cares about, like, his future. <laughs> But the whole thing is basically her realizing that she should be happy for him and that 
you know, relationships grow over time, but this all happens over Christmas. The other plots are Becky is really missing Nebraska uh, because there's no snow and Christmas just does not feel at all like um, Christmas without snow or weather or anything like that. And, you know, it's sort of implied that she misses her other family as well. You know, having been brought into the makeshift family that is the Tanners uh, by being married to Jesse at this point. Um, And then there's a, a runner where basically Joey, this just shows you how checked out Dave Coulier must have been at this point of the show. <laughs> Because Joey's only point in the entire episode is that Joey always plays Santa at their Christmas party. And he's talking about trying out a new ho, ho, ho. uh, And he's trying to figure out which impression he should use with his ho, ho, ho. Should it be Donald Duck, uh, Daffy Duck? Should it be Jerry Lewis? Um, And those are literally his only lines in the entire episode. Is like he'll show up in a scene and be like, I'm going to do ho, 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 like Jerry Lewis. And then that's it. He leaves. And it's, wow. it's often, it's often <laughs> remarked, it's often remarked upon by him because the other characters are not acknowledging him. <laughs> so he's just sort of disappears. He's just a, a broken man at this point. Um, <laughs> the other runner is basically uh, Stephanie and Michelle are very excited about all of their Christmas presents. And Uncle Jesse is trying to teach them that uh, Christmas is about more than just presents. And he says to them, uh, you know what? I I hadn't got you guys your gift yet, but I think I just thought of something really special to get you guys. Um, And it's going to be a surprise for Christmas. And like they're really excited because they he says, I I think I, I, I got you guys the best gift ever. And they're very excited about it. And then Christmas comes along. They get all their presents. And they're like, hey, Jesse, what's up? And he says something, probably an Elvis quote uh, and probably says honey or something like that. And then he says, no, you guys are going to come with me and I'll I'll give you your present. Uh, And Danny is clearly in on it. And Danny's like, yeah, you're just going to go with your Uncle Jesse and you you guys will see us back here for (laughs) Christmas. At this point, they they leave and it's this weird thing happens where apparently the Tanners just have a giant open house party on Christmas, like on Christmas day and like everybody they know, or rather a bunch of background extras show up to their house uh, (laughs) and celebrate with them after they've opened their presents. Um, But anyways, uh, it comes back, you know, Jesse, Michelle and Stephanie re-enter later and Jesse has taken them to a homeless shelter and they've been volunteering all afternoon and they, they each give nice little speeches about like how the girls realize how lucky they are to have what this is and how that they want to be able to give up more more volunteering and jesse says that this is something that his father did for him when he was young and he's never forgotten the feeling of helping people and that's what he tries to do i thought it was a very sweet scene uh john stamos is just great in it but i found it so weird that they didn't show the scene of them at the homeless shelter yeah like they just go they go off screen and come back and they're like oh man it was really sad you had to be there but man was it sad they were homeless and they were hungry and we helped them but thank god we're back here it was really weird um really really weird it was a weird weird episode but that was what i was thinking there's another trope that comes there's a few tropes that aaron mentioned a few tropes it was basically the homeless comes into uh, Christmas episodes of uh, a lot of things, a lot of things. And I, I think there's obviously a reason for that, because it's a time of year where uh, we're supposed to remember other people but ourselves. 
I don't know how genuine it always comes off in sitcoms, but you know, the sentiment is correct. So that was Full House, basically. That was <laughs> a, a very Tanner Christmas. It was, yeah. I, I I enjoyed it for the most part. Like like I said, it, like it was very, very sappy and the jokes were very, very lame, but uh, it was uh, it was enjoyable. And I, I, I have a hard time shitting on Christmas uh, anything. So yeah. yeah. I wonder too why they didn't show them at the, the shelter. Um, probably, you know, they probably didn't want to make it a whole, although can I give them this much credit for being PC? Cause <laughs> it was like the early nineties, <laughs> but like, uh, you know, maybe nowadays they wouldn't necessarily show that cause they don't want it to seem like, yeah, they don't want to portray like unhoused people a certain way and they don't want to necessarily make it like this you know, yeah. savior narrative for the, the people there. So it's like yeah, a tough line to walk. Let's, let's not give them any credit. Yeah. Uh, the, if I had to, if I had to put my finger on why they didn't show it, uh, the episode is very bloated. It has 17 plots going on. Yeah. It was probably a lot of people throwing in there and offering ideas. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> maybe they shot it and it didn't make the final edit. Yeah. Either I because they were trying to trim for time and they felt like it was something they could go without. Or yeah. they had some internal debate over what was or wasn't the right way to show that, portray it, whether it was tactful to show it. And, I feel like I've seen yeah. it on other sitcoms where they yeah. go. Um, I also, I think, and this is something that it comes up on How I Met Your Mother at one point. Um, I don't know if this is directly sitcom's fault or just Christmas in general, but like, I can't remember how it happens, but basically it comes up that Barney always volunteers around the holidays. So they're going to, I, you know, I think it's Ted and Robin are like, oh, well, we're going to volunteer. And they show up at like a shelter and they're like, OK, cool. Like, we're happy to have help. But like everybody comes out on these days to help. Nobody's coming out the rest of the year. And like, you can't just come in and do something for like a photo op and like get out. Like we need help yeah. year round, mm -hmm. not just yeah. on these days. And if you come on these days, great. but you're not going to be the one serving the soup because <laughs> you know you're you're going to be in the back like packing bags and stuff because yeah. it's yeah it's this is not for glamour this is to help people definitely yeah. and what i what i appreciated about that fraser episode what's great about it is it's not a, a scene where fraser is the savior of anyone else in fact yeah. it's quite the opposite it is about him having a humbling experience mm -hmm. where he learns from other people's perspectives and realizes yeah. what what really matters in terms of the mm -hmm. way people communicate with each other respectfully and is then able to like feel better about himself and understand you know how he should communicate with his father and things like that and mm -hmm. at no point does he ever really do anything for them the only thing that he does that's like a a moral win for him is that he recognizes that it is more important to preserve their dignity in mm -hmm. light of what just went down than his own. And so if that means like abandoning his car and walking home so that he doesn't make them feel stupid, that that's the right thing to do. But they don't even know he did that. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Cool. That's fair. Oh, oh, wait, there is one more thing. It was kind of cute. <laughs> but So uh, Jesse comes off as the full hero of this episode, as he often does. And he's like, oh, I got one more present. And like, he's like, Becky, just go out back. And like, he 
has basically rigged up their backyard to be completely full of snow. Uh, and he built like a snowman and stuff for, and like, there's like a one-off line where he basically said like, oh, my, my friend owns like a snow cone business. I just bought 170,000 of them. Um, Wow. (laughs) Sitcom logic. Yeah. But I was, it was, it was very sweet. And the episode ends with them all playing in the snow. Nice. I think I remember that. You know, it was also weird to see something with no cynicism in it. Yeah. 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 For sure. So I guess I'll tell you guys my first pick. Um, this is quite a different uh, <laughs> pick from you you guys. Um, Clueless, the TV series. Do you nice. guys remember that? It's pretty obscure. Yeah. So it's like this, the ABC sitcom spun off from the, the movie Clueless. And it's from their season two. And it's called A Very PC Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I chose this basically because I remember it from the time. And I am basically the queen of happy holidays. I'm a firm believer in inclusivity. And I often, you know, find myself um, getting into debates about people who like to claim that there's a war on Christmas because clearly there's not. But yeah, what I think is so funny about this concept of the war on Christmas and people who do get riled up by that is that even if there was a war on Christmas, Christmas is clearly winning that war. At any rate, I remember this this episode because I found it pretty funny back in the 90s and I think it still has a lot of re- uh, relevance today. It centers around a pageant being thrown at Bronson Alcott High where the main characters attend. So the pageant is called the Multi-Denominational Holiday Pageant. So <laughs> there's uh-huh. enough there to kind of trigger all those people out there who... Uh, like to troll people who say happy holidays because it basically consists of a bunch of musical numbers from every possible culture and every possible background. And it's just fun because it's a school in Beverly Hills where there's a very diverse population and they're trying to make everybody happy. Like the main plot is Cher Horowitz, the main character. She is basically trying to get a solo in the pageant. Uh, She wants to sing the iconic Jewish uh, folk song Dreidel. So she wants to sing Dreidel because her dad's going to be there and her dad uh, is very excited to see it. So basically, Cher's trying to make this happen, but she's a terrible, awful singer and none of her friends will really tell her how bad she is at first. And then when they start to tell her, she doesn't believe them until she hears a recording of herself. So it's basically like Cher really hustling to get this this solo and her friend Dion finally lets her listen to a recording and she hears how bad she is and is touched by Dee's, uh, you know, honesty and how it must have been hard for her to be that honest. So the theme of the episode is honesty and how that's the greatest gift you can give someone on Christmas. At the end of the pageant, Cher does have kind of an iconic moment. She ends up playing an angel that's lowered from the ceiling where she gives a whole speech about honesty and how it's like the best gift that you can give to a loved one on the holidays. And she also caps it off with, in the spirit of our multicultural nation, we wish you all a happy whatever. Nice. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I like that. So it's I, just... like, I like that she drops doing anything for Hanukkah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the whole thing is supposed to be a Hanukkah present for her dad. 
Yeah. She's basically yeah. like, okay, I'm going to sing this song for my dad because it'll make him really, really happy. And uh, that, so she brings him to the concert as a Hanukkah gift, allegedly. It is a very fun episode. There's definitely some fun lines and then there's some cringy lines because of course there is. It's, you know, yeah. it's the mid-90s. There's going to be some problematic stuff. But all in all, it, it was just like a, a fun little slice of poking a little fun at modern culture and high schools like that that are in very diverse communities that not only go above and beyond to be diverse and inclusive, they also had this funny beat where they were doing their dress rehearsal and Sean, who is Cher's good friend and he's the one running the pageant, he gets this list of legally mandated solos because basically they're they're all a bunch of rich families and um they're all suing the the pageant unless their child basically gets a solo. So it was it was pretty funny. And oh, and before I forget, there was a Sybil Shepherd reference in this episode as Uh-oh. well. <laughs> so Aaron, you know, like yeah, just uh trigger warning for Aaron. Back when Cher is trying to get the solo. So Amber, Cher's sort of nemesis, sort of friend, what we would now call a frenemy, is convincing Cher to be litigious and threaten to sue if she doesn't get the solo, just like um, Sybil Shepard once did in her own high school. So she uses Sybil Shepard in this little anecdote to try to convince Cher to get her way. Amazing. I like it. (laughs) So you think I should watch this episode? It's a it's a fun episode. <laughs> Next show. Yeah, let's get to it. Aaron Yeager. Okay. Uh, my next pick is from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, another one of my favorite 90s sitcoms, season one, episode 15, called Deck the Halls. I almost chose this. Okay. <laughs> it's a classic. As I point out in the cold open of our show, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air definitely belongs in the pantheon of greats from its era, and I watched a ton of this when I was a kid. It's been a while since I've watched the show, so I didn't remember this specific episode, and season one episodes of sitcoms, you know, they are not always as fully developed as the parts of a series that you remember the best, so I was cautiously optimistic, but this absolutely holds up, and I enjoyed it a lot. One thing I like about this show is the pacing. There were a lot of jokes, but it doesn't come across as having that pressure to squeeze in as many as possible, even when they don't work. Like it balances the jokes with just good, honest story structure. And when the jokes do come, they're always very attuned to the actual rules and traits of each character. And so it always feels really organic to the character growth. This is the first Christmas episode they did. And uh, so right off the bat, it turns out that Will believes in Santa Claus. And for anyone <laughs> for anyone listening who doesn't know, Will is very much a teenager at this point, like an older teen. He's like, I don't know his exact age, but he's in high school. And of course, this is Will's first Christmas in Bel Air after moving there from Philly, because this is. Yeah, he, he got into some trouble in the neighborhood, as I recall. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is season one of the series. So this is his first time spending Christmas here. Witnessing the extremes of the utter pretentiousness of the moneyed elites that live in Bel Air. So Will and Ashley go to pick up these Christmas decorations and they go to this store that's kind of really like this absurd modern art kind of gallery style 
reminds me of like a Soho art gallery or something like that. And the proprietor of the store is played by this great character actor, Taylor Negron, who if you don't know him by name, you will absolutely know him by face if you look him up. Due to his 131 credits, he appears in a lot of great TV shows and movies from the time. And it turns out he sadly passed away in 2015. Uh, it's such a funny scene. I highly recommend this whole episode, except for one ridiculous appearance from a Ronald Reagan impersonator. Who oh, yeah, I remember seems that. Seems to actually be portraying what is supposed to be Ronald Reagan living in <laughs> Bel Air. Like, he's not supposed to be an impersonator. He's supposed to get an oh, impersonator yeah. to play that. Ronald Reagan, but he does not look like, like, you can tell, like, it doesn't look real. And so it's really cringy. And, in, feels really unnecessary too. It's really weird. Anyway, kind of getting back to the point of the show. So Will and Ashley are at the store. They see these kind of weird <laughs> modern art pretentious decorations. They decide they're not going to get these. Instead, they're going to go to some like big discount store and buy a whole whack of regular traditional kind of tacky Christmas decorations. And they completely transform the house. The outside of the house is now like the National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation House <laughs> with thousands of lights and massive inflatable decorations. And it's just super garish and tacky. And the parents come home. And this is a demonstration of why I love Uncle Phil so much, because he sees this and he's immediately mad at them for doing this. Why didn't you pick up the decorations we ordered? He thinks it looks so tacky. He's trying to convince them to take it down and they're trying to defend this. But then this mob of unruly rich dick neighbors come over complaining about how this is going to affect property values and wanting <laughs> the decorations taken down. And when they're scolding the kids for this, Uncle Phil flips on them immediately. And so now he's like realizing, actually, I like these decorations. And he immediately flips and he's defending Will and Ashley and saying that he likes what they did. And why are we taking Christmas so seriously? Can't we all just remember what it was like when we were kids and we didn't have all this money and Christmas was this fun holiday and he defends the decorations and it's really great. <laughs> awesome. I like how Uncle Phil's reasoning there is that everybody in that neighborhood had, somehow earned their wealth and it wasn't just <laughs> inherited wealth. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if we're really deconstructing this, I would imagine that realistically three quarters of the people living there <laughs> were like old money <laughs> were people. Old money. Yeah. Yeah. Like Uncle Phil got himself there. Yeah. But. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like he's just assuming that everyone else earned their way into that <laughs> into that upper class like he did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. My uh my next one I did uh was uh of course I went with a a friends episode because we talk about friends so much and uh why 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 the hell not? I I went for the one that I remembered directly, which was uh the one with the holiday armadillo. <laughs> which is uh, in which Ross has his young son, Ben, with him over the holidays, which is usually he goes to his ex-wife's. So uh, Ross decides, being uh, Jewish, he's going to teach his son about Hanukkah uh, because Ben only cares about uh, Christmas. And I didn't remember Ross's kid being such a dickhole, but he's a <laughs> dickhole. And like he keeps trying to tell his, his son about like his his culture and his heritage and his son's only reaction is to sing Christmas carols loudly at him. Um, and I was just like, man, this is you just are not this kid's not growing up right. You know, like he's yeah. just he's just disrespectful. 
So Ross decides, okay, uh, he's like, I'm going to teach him about Christmas and about Hanukkah. And then for some reason, it's very murky and plot wise. He, he goes to a costume store to pick up a Santa Claus costume. They don't have any because it's only two days till Christmas. So he picks up a armadillo costume and he decides he's going to be the holiday armadillo. Uh, and he teaches his son <laughs> about Hanukkah. Of course, Chandler, having heard that Ross could not get a Santa Claus costume, has called in some favors and shows up dressed as Santa Claus. Aww. And they have a bit of they have a bit of a war between the holiday armadillo and uh, and Santa Claus. And then the topper, of course, being Matt LeBlanc, just walks in dressed as Superman. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it ends with, uh, you know, Ben still not wanting to hear about Hanukkah, but Chandler as Santa is like, well, I want to hear about Hanukkah. So they all sit down and listen to the holiday armadillo talk to them about Hanukkah. And there's just a really funny line where <laughs> where the, it cuts to the end of the story. And Ben's like, oh, wow, that was a really great story. I'm really glad to hear that, you know, and like Chandler. There's like, yeah, I really like that part where uh, Superman flew in, flew in and, uh, and <laughs> rescued all the Jews. <laughs> and Ross just looks at Joey and he's just like, yeah, I was not so pleased with that interjection. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It was it was pretty good. I mean, I would say out of the three episodes of things that I watched, like much like a lot of times when you watch Friends now, it held up the least. Um, but it was right. still fine. It was yeah. still it was still friends. It was also funny to as I was watching it to be like, right, Ross is Jewish, Monica's Jewish, Rachel's Jewish, uh, Phoebe is uh an atheist, and I Joey's Catholic, and Chandler, I think, is also an atheist. So it's really not as Catholic dominated a show as I was assuming. Yeah. Um I, I kinda what I dig out of uh what you just I have to rewatch that episode, but I think it's kind of cute that all three of the the guys kind of band together to try to like make something fun and do something special for Ross's kid. Like, I think that's kind of sweet. That, yeah, that's charming. Yeah, that like yeah. Ross's good friends like all like had this inve like this investment in Ben having a fun holiday with Ross. Yeah, it, it is pretty sweet. And you know, some of the stuff that really holds up about Friends is is the the family elements of the show where that group of friends really does have like a, a lived in family vibe. They're a found family mostly. And it is sweet to see that. And like it, it that all holds up. I mean, and this is not this is not a particularly offensive episode of Friends. So it was <laughs> a fun watch, you know. Um, there you go. Ross's son, I had forgotten, is played by the the Sprouse uh, twins. Oh, that's from, funny. They're big that? stars now. From Big Daddy. But now they're they're all grown up. And one they're of like heartthrobs. Oh. Well, well, one of them is. The other okay. one's not. Well, one of them's on Riverdale. Uh, and the, the other one. Stay out of Riverdale. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah, he doesn't play Moose, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah, one of them is Jughead on Riverdale. It's funny. Oh, and then they, they had their own Disney show, too. Oh, yeah. The Sweet Life yeah. with Zach and Cody. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. <laughs> nice. Okay, I believe we have one more from Bryn. Yeah, we do. And uh, as much as I love Christmas and holiday themed movies and TV shows that are warm and fuzzy and make you feel really good about humanity, I also really love the dark, edgy and subversive takes on the holidays, which is why I chose this pick, which is Married with Children's very first Christmas episode. 
It's called Married with Children, colon, a Christmas special. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing that I actually watched this like well before we even thought of doing this holiday themed episode, just during a Married with Children rewatch. We've discussed this before. Yeah. Bryn and I have been doing a deep dive into Married with Children. (laughs) Yeah. And if any of our loyal listeners recall... We had this fun conversation where the three of us sort of had a revelation that we were all um, banned from watching Married with Children as kids because our baby boomer parents really uh, were offended by, I don't know what parts, maybe like the terrible humor or just the fact that Al Bundy was what they could have easily become if they made a few bad choices in life. Um, (laughs) But anyway, so basically, if anyone remembers this episode, it's pretty amazing. It's basically all the tropes of the normal Christmas specials, but they're kind of flipped on their head and it takes a really dark and edgy turn. Uh, It starts with everyone wanting to go to this new mall in their town. And of course, Al is opposed to this because he's a shoe salesman in a competing mall, which is a less nice mall. And this new mall called the Lakeside Mall is like, they're going hard on advertisements. They're really making a splash out there in the community. And there's like this funny little jingle where it's like, Santa Claus is coming to town, but it's Santa Claus is coming to the Lakeside Mall. <laughs> like the way I love they, that. Yeah, like the way they sing it is like really, really classic. And Peg sings it over and over. Peg is like very enthusiastic about this mall and doesn't give a shit that her husband doesn't want her to go there as normal Peg Bundy style. So in an attempt to really make a big splash and really promote this new mall, they hire a daredevil to dress up as Santa and skydive and parachute down in front of the Lakeside Mall and, you know, give out coupons to all the potential customers nearby. It's supposed to be a big stunt. And the Bundy family are watching this unfold. And as they're watching it, it becomes clear that Santa's parachute is not going to open. <laughs> and oh, no. He, he falls to his death in none other than the backyard of the Bundys. <laughs> so leading up to this horrifying incident, there's a lot of jokes where... Al was buying all of the gifts at the last minute for the whole family. And Peg and his kids were like, well, yeah, well, let's get dad's gifts together. And literally, they just go up to Al's room and grab a bunch of his old stuff and wrap it up. Oh. And then they're, they're <laughs> I still remember that. Yeah, so they're, yeah, they're that laughing stuck with about me. it. They're like, oh, he's going to love this. And they're just like kind of like very smug about how little they care about Al. <laughs> and then they're just like, throwing his old gross shirts into bags and into uh, like wrapped boxes. They're just establishing themselves as like the worst Christmas family ever. And they had all gathered around the television and witnessed again this horrifying accident. And then moments later, the Bundys are just sitting down eating pizza and drinking beer while the neighbors that were also over at the time, the Rhodeses, 
are completely traumatized. They're just like, can't believe that this man died in the yard. There's investigators milling around, like trying to like figure out what exactly went wrong. And the Bundys are just so indifferent the whole time. They're just like eating their pizza. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah. And then at one point, a bunch of children gather at the door of the Bundy house. (laughs) And they're knocking on the door and they answer and they're like, oh, where's Santa? We heard he fell back here. And they're like, oh, my God, dear God. Uh, like, and so they're trying to stall the kids and like make sure that the kids don't know what's going on. Yeah. And then like the rest of the episode is them trying to get this corpse out of the backyard. Yeah. OK. And onto this gurney without the children seeing and without a whole incident. And then Al ends up wearing the Santa costume and he's having to be Santa for these kids and he's obviously an asshole. So it's, I don't know, it's a wild ride. The Bundys end up collecting all the coupons that the Santa was supposed to give out at the big PR stunt and keeping them for themselves so that they could go shopping. So basically Christmas was saved for the Bundys because... Through the death of this, uh, <laughs> through the death of Santa, of this man so, dressed as Santa, yeah, awesome. That show could really do dark comedy. They could, they could. And uh, the fun thing about it too is, like, in our Married with Children rewatch, we like, you know, it is a really well crafted show. It is very funny. Uh, it's the best pilot we've ever seen, but it is like r- disgustingly misogynistic. Like, it is really rough. Like, there's some cringy stuff, but this particular episode is not that bad. <laughs> um, at one point, there was a funny joke where um, the Rhodes, the Rhodeses, however you would pronounce that, they say to Al that they've given him the perfect Christmas gift, which was a donation to a feminist organization <laughs> just to piss him off. So. Doing so knowing that that will oh, bother yeah. him. So, that's really that's So it's really actually funny. a decent episode in terms of like, there's no really, really terrible, horrible that, that's uh, really sexism. Funny. That's great. That's a great pick. Yeah. That's a great gag too. That's yeah. funny. All right, so those are all our episodes. Why don't we talk about, it was funny just hearing everybody go through your episodes because- it really segues nicely into this. What were the tropes you guys picked up on on these holiday episodes? Because I just hearing everybody, I was like, <laughs> wow, there it is again. There yeah. it is again. There was some that you guys mentioned that for some reason I had left out in part of my episode description. So I'm excited to get into. Yeah. There's a lot of tropes in these episodes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So one of the classic things is a patriarch. So a dad of a family having some sort of miscommunication or mishap when buying Christmas gifts for the family. Yes. He either can't get them financially or he waits to the last minute or there's a particular toy or something that he's supposed to get, but there's a big mishap and he goes through all these like crazy lengths to get the one item. I mean, we see this over and over again in Christmas episodes and Christmas movies. There's like a whole movie about it. Isn't it like Jingle All the Way kind of about- Jingle All the Way! (laughs) Yeah. And we will hear about that trope in the backstory portion of the Festivus Uh plot that we will talk about later. (laughs) And as I rained blows upon him, (laughs) I thought there has to be a better way. Yeah, yeah. That must have been some doll. Yeah. <laughs> she was. She was. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, and like uh, that's that is definitely an issue in the Simpsons. I know it wasn't officially one that I did, but in the Simpsons Christmas special, the reason I didn't choose the Simpsons Christmas episode is that I knew that there would be no way I would go the whole episode without talking about it anyway. But yeah, that one's got it in there right there. Homer uh, has to take a job as a mall Santa to uh, buy Christmas gifts for the Simpsons. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, there's always like, a big um, financial catastrophe that threatens the gift-giving portion of the holidays, and it always sparks a conversation amongst the characters about the materialism of the holiday and that they're losing the true meaning of the holiday. Mm -hmm. I I love that this trope came up, the thing of someone, usually the dad, not getting their Christmas bonus or this financial stakes thing. And I made a note about this because when I was thinking about holiday specific sitcom tropes, I thought a lot about that one because it's something that always bothered me about TV shows and movies where it would often be what is portrayed as a very like upper middle class family where the dad is like an architect or a business executive or something. They live in like a six bedroom house with three cars in a really expensive neighborhood. (laughs) And they've got a college fund to send their three kids to Ivy League schools. And generally they seem to have money. And then Christmas time comes around. But somehow, 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 (laughs) this Christmas bonus, like their entire livelihood hangs in the balance of this Christmas bonus as if they've just like balanced their finances to within a hair of being able to hold it together so that they're so reliant on this. And then like they can't pay their bills or they're not going to be able to make their mortgage payment or the vacate. They can't go on the vacation when this bonus falls through. And I always thought, I don't understand that. I don't understand. Like, isn't the North American North Americans live beyond their means. They do. They do now more than ever. I'm surprised it was actually such a long running theme in the nineties because it seemed like, you know, people were relying on credit cards too much, but it seems like it's even worse a problem now. So it's funny that, yeah, everything would hinge on this like Christmas bonus yeah. or this like, you know, it, it's kind of funny. And I get that a lot of families might live beyond their means in that way yeah. where they actually yeah. do rely on this money. But I always thought, but why are you trying to get us to sympathize with that? Why it's are you? So yeah. in, why are you? Because trying it's to, so ingrained in culture. It's yeah. so ingrained that you're thinking that us as an audience watching this super privileged family scramble yeah. financially because they don't get this extra bonus is supposed to be stakes that other people can relate to or get behind, which is why I always loved shows that were kind of refreshing, like Roseanne, notwithstanding Roseanne's more recent attitudes. Hey, Um, Roseanne is a great show. Roseanne is not a great person, but Roseanne is a great show. Yeah, Mm. Roseanne, the TV show, was great. And I liked that it portrayed a family that actually was living on the margins economically (sighs) where one paycheck or one bonus might make a real impact on them. Yeah. Another trope that came up just in the episodes we talked about, which was very funny, is a squabble over Christmas decorations. Mm -hmm. And, you know, tasteful, low-key, classy decorations versus very kitschy, over-the-top, brightly colored, wacky decorations. Yeah, so we saw that in Frasier, in yeah. Fresh Prince, in Boy Meets World. Yeah. Um, There's always somebody that overdoes it with decorations and then everyone else is embarrassed. Oh, and there's never a middle ground. It's no. always either the most pretentiously low-key 
like really expensive. It's like a couple of really small silver plated items or something <laughs> made of glass yeah. on, on a mantle that's like super low key. Or it's the most intense thousand strings of lights, big inflatable things with the fans. <laughs> so this one I was excited about because it kept coming up. One of the characters dressing as Santa yeah. and how this is just a regular part of Christmas that somebody dresses up like Santa. I've never, ever no. been to a Christmas where somebody dressed up as Santa. I've never been to a Christmas party where somebody dressed up like Santa. But TV loves to tell you that people are just out there renting Santa suits. <laughs> To the point where there's a run on the there's a run on them. Yeah. Because like, no, I've never been to a Christmas. My dad certainly never dressed up like he could have pulled it off too. John Helmer would have made a great he, Santa. He but that would not that he would that would not have been the John Helmer we knew. No, no. He would I I can't imagine him wearing a costume. I can't imagine anybody's father wearing costumes. Ooh, I'm, like, gonna, I'm gonna blow your mind with some info later. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, but I know I, so, where this is going. I know where this is going. This came up in Friends. This came up in Full House. Yeah. In Married with Children. <laughs> Married with Children. This came up in Simpsons. Uh, this came up in the Seinfeld episode that you... I mean, mm -hmm. that one's a little... The Simpsons and the Seinfeld one, they are mall Santas. Also a trope. Just people, main characters just becoming a mall Santa. Yeah. Yeah, which is very funny. Shout it's out like, to the movie Bad Santa. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. But we'll talk about that when we talk about overall the things that we love to watch during the holidays. On the topic of Santa Claus, another common trope is someone doubting the existence of Santa Claus. And the episode, yeah. the entire arc of the episode is to prove that Santa Claus actually exists. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't have any like actual examples off the top of my head, but I know that was huge in the like TGIF uh, yeah, family yeah. oriented show universe yeah, where yeah, yeah. there was some kid that was very cynical and like Santa Claus is not real. And they would always there would always be this like magical thing that would happen that would prove once and for all that Santa Claus actually exists. I was going to say that, like, no parents go out of their way to do that. But then I was like, you know what? My parents did go out of their way to try oh, to prove Santa existed. Yeah, mine too. I can't remember exactly what they did, but I seem to recall, like, maybe, like, foot footprints in, like, in oh. ash on the mantle yeah, yeah. place. Totally. You know? Or, like, half-eaten yeah. cookies and, like, the thing, you know, one time I caught my mom in a, in a lie. Basically, I asked her, I was like, Mom, why does Santa have the same wrapping paper as us? <laughs> and she she was so caught like remembering oh, it back that's... now she was so caught off guard and she's I, like son of a bitch on the spot she came up with an excuse she was like oh because uh santa claus leaves us the presents and your dad and i wrap them i'm like oh so you stay up all night and wrap all these presents uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> so i yeah i definitely i had no I, such I, experiences growing up I, I found out uh, that Santa Claus didn't exist because I uh, I got a, an aquarium for uh, for Christmas. It was a big a big aquarium. You know, I was I was a little nerdy kid. Uh, it's all I wanted, really. And uh, somebody saw my parents buying the aquarium in in the pet store. And then they told me at school <sighs> and then I called them a liar. <laughs> and I was like, you're a I liar. Was, 
Yeah, I was like, no, you didn't. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Santa got this for me. That doesn't make any sense. And then, like, I remember just throughout the argument just being like, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I, oh, no, I've made a huge mistake. Oh, yeah. Aww. Wow. Here's a trope that I would like to comment on. And this came up actually in uh, your description of the full house, I believe, Christmas. Some joke about struggling to celebrate Christmas in a warm climate without snow, as if to do so is such a travesty. Yeah. Even though, A... Most of these movies and TV shows are clearly produced in L.A. where there's never <laughs> any snow. And yeah. B, Jesus was born in a desert in the Middle East. <laughs> and there's nothing intrinsically connecting snow and what is being celebrated on Christmas. I mean, he was also born in like early September. So, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's such a common trope. There's also something about like. Something involving like a family going on a trip and the kids not wanting to go. I yeah. can't think of any specific examples, but I feel like I've seen that a lot. And of course, there's the uh, kids learning the true meaning of Christmas isn't getting presents trope. Yeah. Um, something it's usually usually by visiting the homeless. Yeah. Something commenting yeah. on the commercialism of Christmas. I am a sucker for those kinds of plots that present that sort of perspective in a sitcom. But thinking mm -hmm. back, like I wonder how that dovetails with what were presumably incredibly high intensity commercial breaks during these shows. Oh, yeah. With all sorts of ads for shopping in advance of yeah. Christmas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of these tropes are especially relevant now, given yeah. what's going on in the world, especially the commercialism and the idea of not really getting to be with your whole family. It is something people need to like think about more. But it's funny, Aaron, how like you, you appreciated those messages because you weren't someone who woke up on December 25th with like a pile of <laughs> toys under a tree. <laughs> and it wasn't the one day you looked forward to every year. Nope, not one day and of presents. Eight crazy nights. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. So... We've just talked about some of our all-time favorite episodes of sitcoms from the 80s and 90s that were holiday-themed, and we talked about them in terms of how they made us kind of feel warm and fuzzy, and a lot of these were very successful shows. But here at That Was a Show, we're in the business of talking about failed or forgotten sitcoms, so it'd be a shame if we didn't talk about a holiday episode of one of our failed and forgotten sitcoms. And today we're going to we're going to gather together here and we're going to watch a holiday episode of one of our new favorites. Whoops. What? <laughs> uh, Buckle. Oh, OK, I have to say, whoops wasn't even on my list of possibilities of what you were going to say. I was like, oh, maybe we're going to watch like a muddling through or or uh, I like whoops was I didn't think there was going to be a Christmas whoops. I am fucking excited. This is very exciting. <laughs> Whoops was our episode three of oh, our podcast. Yes. And I seem to oh. recall that show only lasted like 10 episodes. Yeah, but they did a holiday episode. That's so, so presumptuous. Buckle up, guys. This is my gift to you. <laughs> 
So in this episode of Whoops, it was called Say It Ain't So Santa. The survivors that are living in the farmhouse that are the main characters of Whoops. After they, the apocalypse. After the apocalypse. We should actually reestablish basically oh, what Whoops is. do we have is. to? Just like in one <laughs> sentence. Okay. Go ahead, Barry. Go for it. Okay. So Whoops was the show we watched for our third episode. It was about a group of survivors living together in a farmhouse after the apocalypse happened. In this episode, Santa Claus came to visit. Boom. (laughs) Another thing to note is that Santa Claus has lost his Christmas spirit and has a dark secret. He inadvertently killed uh, his fleet of elves and Mrs. Claus because he couldn't open the door to his nuclear fallout shelter because he doesn't know how to open doors because he's a chimney man. He's a chimney man. Santa's yeah. a chimney man. So this comes out gradually in the episode and the the group, uh, the, the gang at Whoops, they basically uh, ha- help him come to terms with that and uh, help him regain his Christmas spirit and uh, he's able to you know, get back on the sleigh and reunite with his reindeers and try again. <laughs> I like that. So this is the second last episode of Whoops. Yeah. And I just, I love the sheer fucking audacity that the show was like, yeah, whatever. Fucking Santa Claus is real. Nuclear <laughs> apocalypse. We already had giant spiders. What are you guys like? What it's else almost, should, yeah, should we they throw just at didn't, it? They didn't care. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> they were, it's pretty they wild. Were, they were amazed that they got a Christmas episode. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a a storyline that feels like, I don't know, again, I've made this comment about some past shows that we've deconstructed, but it feels like an SNL sketch that has been stretched out into a 22-minute sitcom episode. Yeah, for sure. Like, what if it's post-apocalyptic and there's these people living in this house and they're the sole survivors, but uh, Santa is still around and, you know, points for the dark comedy aspect of it. Yeah. Oh, I love that Santa was also, like, a survivor of, like... That things at the North Pole were all like it was also destroyed and he's the only one left. Yeah, it's funny. Um, It was definitely full of tropes and actually a couple that we didn't really mention. Uh, We didn't specifically mention previously the idea that someone has lost their Christmas spirit. Oh, yeah. And has become cynical. So this is like the perfect kind of example of that where it's like the most extreme version of that, where Santa Claus himself loses his Christmas spirit. And then there's also the the trope of a terrible Christmas tree is the only one they're able to get, a really like pathetic one that's like half dead and has no needles left and they have to make the best out of it. And then in the end, it's beautiful. So <laughs> yeah, I can't believe that they're that we watch this. And I, I, <laughs> You're welcome. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I didn't know. I'm so glad that I didn't get to prepare for this because I had truly thought I would never see another episode of Whoops. Of all of the shows that we've covered before, this was yeah. definitely one of the most fun to kind of revisit briefly like this. Yeah, isn't it isn't it weird how like honestly the show started and I was just kind of like right back in like I knew the status quo already like <laughs> we watched this like 6 months ago probably yeah. and I was just like, "Oh, whoops. Okay, here we go." Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> apocalypse. Yeah. Oh, and Santa's there naturally, of course. Um it was it was really easy to slip back into, which I guess I feel like a lot of the other shows we watched maybe not so so much. Yeah. I'm probably shitting on whoops so hard because like 
I remember, you know, we there was the one episode of Whoops we all absolutely hated, but I remember watching Whoops was like stupidly fun. Yeah. It really was. It so, was a fun show to talk about. It was our third episode and it was one of those things where you were just like, oh my God, we are going to find some really weird shit doing this podcast. <laughs> and and we did. We sure have. And it was it was did. good. It was good to revisit. It was good to revisit that. That was uh thank you for that. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. I will say thank you, Bryn, for choosing this specific show to revisit. There is something fun about the fact that we've come this far. We're up to episode 16. We're coming up on the end of 2020. And whoops was one of those first three episodes that we recorded back to back at the very start of this process. Yeah. And so this kind of takes us back to where we began. Agreed. Yeah. Whoops was the last show we recorded before the first uh, the fir- first lockdown. Oh, it seems like 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we did that. We watched Whoops. So uh, we did. Well worth the experience. I agreed. And uh, there we go. Just cracking another uh, beverage. When we were all choosing our episodes, I don't know if it was me who said it first, but it was specifically, nobody choose Festivus. We're going to talk about it anyways. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Don't worry about it. We're going to talk about the Festivus episode of Seinfeld. Yeah. So. yeah. It just goes without saying that for the three of us, the most memorable holiday episode of a 90s sitcom is clearly going to be the one about Festivus. I did feel that it might be worthwhile to give a really short primer on what this is for anyone listening who is not familiar with Festivus. So I agree. I agree. And also anybody out there, even if you don't think you like Seinfeld, you do just watch the Festivus episode of Seinfeld. Just do it. Just please. You it have is to do it. So good. So for anyone listening who doesn't know much about Festivus yet, here's a quick primer. It's based on a storyline in an episode of Seinfeld. It's important to note that the episode isn't called Festivus. The episode is called The Strike, and it's the 10th episode of the ninth and final season of the show. It's really only one of the four plot lines happening in this episode. And in fact, it wasn't necessarily intended to be the most important of the four, but it is absolutely the most memorable. Festivus is a holiday George's dad, Frank Costanza, invented and forced George to celebrate growing up as an alternative to the pressures and commercialism of Christmas. It involves an aluminum pole instead of a tree a pole because you can't decorate it and <laughs> Frank finds tinsel distracting and an and, a, <laughs> and aluminum due to its high strength to weight ratio. Frank describes it as a festivus for the rest of us. And the holiday falls on December 23rd and involves such activities as the airing of grievances, the feats of strength where George must fight his father and Festivus doesn't end until George pins him. <laughs> I got a lot of problems with you people, and now you're going to hear about it. <laughs> I'd also like to say that sadly, Jerry Stiller, who played Frank Costanza, passed away earlier this year, as if 2020 yep. needed to get any damn worse. Uh, the truly intriguing part of the Festivus story in Seinfeld is that it was created by Seinfeld writer Dan O'Keefe based on his actual childhood, his father, author Daniel O'Keefe, invented the holiday of Festivus back around 1966, apparently, and Dan had to celebrate this in his household growing up. They didn't have a pole. They apparently had a Festivus clock 
where every year his dad <laughs> would put a clock in a bag and nail it to the wall. And in 2013, CNN did a segment on the origins of Festivus. O'Keefe spoke about the real life experiences relating to the holiday. So with respect to the clock in the bag, uh, it was never the same bag, rarely the same clock, but always the same wall. <laughs> the nailing was most often done in secret and then revealed to the family. And the, the younger Dan O'Keefe told CNN, the real symbol of the holiday was a clock that my dad put in a bag and nailed to the wall every year. I don't know why. I don't know what it means. He would never tell me. He would always say, that's not for you to know. Uh, so the real life Festivus story is every bit as zany yeah. as Frank Costanza in Seinfeld. You know, I, I have to I have to think that they chose the aluminum pole because he was telling them the clock story. And they're like, no, that's where we lose the audience. That's too yeah. far fetched. Yeah. <laughs> I have the utmost respect for people who create their own weird traditions or like alternative holidays because it's just. It, oh, yeah. It's creativity. My, well, you, it you, makes you, everything secular. It doesn't exclude anyone except those who are cynical and weirded out by it. But, you know, like the holiday armadillo, as we saw the, you know. Well, my brother, uh, you probably recall my older brother, uh, Neil, has celebrated his own holiday. His, his group of friends celebrate oh, genus, right. genus every year. Also on December 23rd. Yes. Uh, and they have celebrated this for God knows, maybe almost 30 years, probably. Wow. 20, 25, 30 wow. years. Jemus is the most welcoming uh, holiday there is. There's a lot of very strange traditions, uh, very exciting traditions. Uh, and it was always a treat to be invited to Jemus. And anytime I could, I would invite friends along. I, I'm pretty Did sure I, I brought- Did I go to Jemus? You, yes, you came to, you come to more, one or two Jemuses in your day. I don't remember. Maybe I was, how old were we? Young, like- Like er, in like university? In undergrad? Yeah, like 1920. Okay, so I was um, probably loaded and I didn't- <laughs> Loaded, lo lo absolutely loaded, absolutely loaded. Um, oh, and there's boy. all kinds of they have all kinds of traditions like uh, bacon wrapped bacon. <laughs> you know what? I don't want to get too deep into it, but it's wonderful. And uh, shout I, out to Jemus. Bryn mentioned earlier that in our household we celebrate both Christmas and Hanukkah. But what she didn't mention is that we also celebrate Festivus. We do. Actually, we've taken it as far as having a real Festivus pole. Yeah. I drag it out of the crawl space every year. <laughs> <laughs> it's not actually a crawl space, of course. We live in a small downtown apartment. It's, yeah. it's a closet, but we do genuinely it's have- It's like a crawl space. Yeah. It, it's an inconvenient place to drag it out of. So yeah. the spirit is there. Yes. I, I seem to recall- so I we used to put a pole up in my last apartment when I had yeah. roommates. And I think the first time I ever met Aaron, I showed him the pole. I was like, <laughs> yeah, you just, were proud of it. Because really the first first time I met you was at a, at a New it Year's party. It was a party. New Year's Eve party. No, sorry. That was, that was actually that was the second time I met you. But it was the first official time I met you. I met you yeah. earlier that week at a birthday party. But the first official time I met you was that. And we had our Festivus pole up. And I said, have you seen the pole? Because that's what I that's what I said to anybody who came in is I would say, have you seen the pole? Ours is actually an eight foot tall aluminum pole on a wood base that I built. 
And yep. uh, yeah, we bring it out every year. Um, it's yeah. wonderful. I've seen it. I was thinking that the three of us could have our own airing of grievances. Uh, okay. This is where we talk about things that have disappointed us over the past year, but we're not going to air grievances about each other or other people. We're just going to talk about things about society or the world. Uh, any little funny thing that uh, you want to vent about. Barry, why don't you start us off? I was going to say, Aaron, I don't like that you're like slightly taller than me, but I guess uh, <laughs> I guess we'll have to go with non-personal grievances. <laughs> Uh, I, I don't want to go first just because I have to think of mine. Okay, I'll go then. Um, obviously, we're all dancing around all the obvious crazy stuff that is going on in the world. That could be an hour-long conversation about those grievances. But I'll say one, one kind of grievance that comes from all of those grievances is just how complicated it is to do anything and how complicated it is to make decisions about who you get to spend your time with. Since she did a, a 2021, I'm going to do a 2021 too. Just put the mask over your goddamn nose. Just do it. <laughs> that's, where you, that's where you breathe out of. Therefore, yeah. it is a place that is vulnerable. I cannot stress that enough. <laughs> <sighs> that, that's oh a good God. one. That's a good one. For my grievance, this will be a segue into my segment about Hanukkah. I can't remember ever seeing an authentic representation of how anyone actually celebrates Hanukkah on TV growing up, including shows featuring Jewish characters. Now, where I grew up, we'd have school assemblies where the concert band or whatever choir would do a bunch of Christmas songs, and eventually they'd throw in one or two Hanukkah songs as well to make us feel included. And the way it would always come up in a TV show is kind of the same thing. There'd be a passing line of dialogue or some little reference to it, but never actually a representation of how the holiday is celebrated. So I was always yearning to see an accurate representation of this and not just some weird, awkward token reference. I'll add while you're looking at your notes that the high school that Bryn and I attended did not even in any way acknowledge that Hanukkah might have existed. <laughs> or any other holiday for that matter. <laughs> uh, Barry, you mentioned this before talking about friends. Like three of them are supposedly Jewish, but we barely ever catch a glimpse of what this means to any of them or any of their families. Yeah. It's not really something that plays into the show. Whereas if you had three Jews in New York, you're going to realistically see certain things that are not portrayed there. I will give an honorable mention to the uh, holiday armadillo episode, though, I did make a note about that because, you know, credit where credit's due to the effort. There was at least a conversation. But yeah. as you were saying, you're right. As somebody who only has his ideas of culture from TV, I have no idea how to celebrate Hanukkah. And another example of this would be in a show like The Goldbergs, a show that is explicitly supposed to be about a Jewish family. Now, they do an episode that's supposed to be about Hanukkah, but they completely Christmasify it. In fact, the episode is titled A Christmas Story, and it's about Jews having Christmas envy. So much like Friends, it's a plot where one character is desperately trying to get other characters enthused about Hanukkah, which apparently they do not want to celebrate. 
So my first trope of Hanukkah representations in sitcoms is the nobody wants to celebrate Hanukkah, but one character desperately attempts to change their minds trope, (laughs) which we see every time it's referenced in a show. Yep. Another trope is the Jewish character who makes a vague reference to Hanukkah, but goes on to celebrate Christmas anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And then the third that I wanted to mention is the menorah in the corner trope, a supposedly Jewish character might celebrate Hanukkah, but it's only represented via asking the props department to put a menorah in the corner of the room, deep in the background, slightly out of focus. And by the way, Hanukkah candles melt in like 30 minutes. Celebrating is the act of lighting the candles at sundown, not having the candles just randomly burning for hours all day in the background as some sort of decor. That's not actually a thing. (laughs) Um, And this is because sitcoms anglicize Jews to such an extent that it has led to this impression that everyone celebrates Christmas and that Christmas is a secular holiday like Halloween. Yeah. Uh, But it's not. I don't come from a particularly religious upbringing. I come from a very secular upbringing. But Christmas wasn't our holiday. And I knew a lot about it because of all of the friends that I had and where I went to school. and And TV. And TV. And TV yeah. um, many people over the years have assumed that myself or my parents must celebrate Christmas. How could anyone in this country not celebrate Christmas? So even if we'd say, oh, we celebrate Hanukkah, they would just assume that we must celebrate both. But what always intrigued me is it's not like anyone ever assumed we celebrated Easter. Like there's just something <laughs> about Hanukkah specifically and Christmas that the two don't get detached. Whereas with other holidays, the same assumptions yeah. aren't made. Now, to be clear, I like Christmas. I enjoy celebrating it, largely because I'm married to someone who grew up celebrating Christmas and because I have many, many, many friends who do. And here's a a twist, Barry, that I briefly referenced earlier. My dad used to dress up as Santa Claus. Oh, my God. For Christmas parties at the hospital where he works. (laughs) Put on the full Santa suit and everything. That's that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, so funny. Um, But yeah, I never had a Christmas tree in my home growing up. I did not have a Christmas tree in my home until moving in with Bryn in my 30s. Um, (laughs) And even then, we just have little tiny Christmas trees. (laughs) I mean, I actually- One day we'll get a nice big honking real Christmas tree. I love plants. So actually having a a big real evergreen tree with the smell that comes along with that is something pretty appealing to me. It's appealing. Quick primer on Hanukkah. Uh, Hanukkah, which can be spelled with an H or a CH with one N and two Ks or two Ns and one K, sometimes with an H at the end and sometimes not, is the festival of lights and lasts eight days. Of course, there's the nine branch candelabra, which is called a menorah, technically a Hanukkah that's used to celebrate the holiday where there's one elevated candle in the middle and you use that to light the other candles, and you progressively increase the number of candles each night. And when you light them, you say a prayer. Christmas is the most widely celebrated and biggest Christian holiday. The fact that Hanukkah happens around the same time of the year doesn't actually make it equivalent. Our high holidays, or most important holidays, are Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which occur in the fall, and Passover, which occurs in the spring. And for religious Jews, there's a whole bunch of other holidays. And Hanukkah is considered more of a minor festival than one of the major holidays. This year, it's falling on the evening of December 10th until the evening of December 18th. In Reform Judaism, which is the progressive Jewish movement or tradition that I grew up in, 
There's also an emphasis on what's called tikkun olam, which means repair of the world, which, depending on how you interpret it, might mean charitable donations or volunteering or social action or fighting for social justice, which I think is something really meaningful to emphasize right now as we come to the end of this particular year, 2020. In terms of the Hanukkah story and other aspects of the holiday, you can look that up online if you're interested. And I did some research to see if there were representations of it in TV that I just wasn't aware of because I mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that I was accurate in, <laughs> in my grievance here. The closest to a good representation of it is, it turns out, in an episode of The Nanny, <laughs> season Interesting. six. Um, yeah. Now I watched The Nanny a bit back in the 90s. I wasn't familiar with this episode, but I watched it for the purpose of our podcast. It's a bit of a blended family scenario, as was typical. At this point in the series, Fran and Maxwell are married. And yes, there is a bit of the trope of Fran wanting everyone to celebrate the first night of Hanukkah with her. And Maxwell is instead going out of town for a meeting. And his son finds the idea of having to participate in Hanukkah insufferable. But long story short, Maxwell ends up driving in a snowstorm, regrets his choice, turns around, tries to come back to celebrate with Fran gets into a minor car accident and he's stranded out in the cold. And supposedly there's only enough gasoline in the tank of his car to keep the engine running and thus keep warm for one hour. But the fuel lasts for eight hours. So he's uh. able to keep warm <laughs> until the authorities can come rescue him and the kid. So it's a good metaphor for the Hanukkah miracle. Uh, that's um, so funny. Also, sidebar, Fran's grandmother is dating a man named Sammy, played by Ray Charles who sings oh, and funny. plays piano at the end of the episode, beautifully, I might add, obviously. <laughs> so this character seems to be just leaning up against the fourth wall somehow. I couldn't quite make sense of how we were supposed to understand it. Oh, but I have to watch that episode. It's an interesting episode. It's worth watching. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the episode, they actually light the candles and we hear them completing the prayer. And I couldn't help but feel a tiny bit emotional seeing that uh -huh. for the first time in a TV show like that. My concluding thought about- Did they actually do it in Hebrew? Yeah. Wow. Just the ending of it. But yeah, you actually hear it. My concluding thought about that is like just thinking about that, how it must feel for people who are truly lacking representation on television or who yeah. have historically not had opportunities to tell their stories, which I'm not equating this with those situations at all. I mean, the fact that so many Jewish people have worked in this medium makes it all the more baffling and comedic yeah, to me yeah. that we haven't seen these representations very much on television. But it just, you know, was an interesting thing to reflect on yeah. what it would mean for someone who doesn't get any chance for representation. Um, I'll, of course, give an honorable mention to the OC for the Chrismica phenomenon. Yeah, we should celebrate Chrismica. So it's the, not a the, sitcom, the but... It's worth mentioning. Yeah. The OC, the OC, I was, while you were talking about it, I was going to mention it. The OC's Chrismica generally does get into the Hanukkah of it all. And it's usually, it's the opposite of what it usually is. It's, it's more, they're adding Christmas into their Hanukkah celebrations. So yeah, they celebrate Chrismica, but also it was funny as you mentioned it because this is my only, uh, they, they do, they do do some of the Hanukkah rituals in it, but you're right. They, it, the, the OC always gave more, uh, credence to Passover. Uh, they always yeah. had a Passover episode and Passover was. Did always, they show an uh, actual Seder dinner? They do oh, wow, uh, on, cool. se on several occasions, That's on several cool. occasions, I like they it. do full Seder dinners. And, uh, I, uh, I feel like they do that on transparent as well. Transparent is good because it shows a lot of. 
everyday life and like family dynamics that like get real cultural. I think we should do a holiday water cooler where we each just briefly mention something that we genuinely look forward to watching or rewatching every time of year around this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good idea. I like yeah. that. I'm always in the habit of watching every single Christmas episode of The Office, The American Office. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Some of it's cringy, but mostly it's fun. I like watching... Uh... The community episode, uh, Abed's Uncontrollable Christmas, the claymation episode yes. of Community. <laughs> Very um, good. I think that episode is absolutely fantastic. As far as movies go, I'm so very partial to Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh, sidebar, Barry and I, when we were roommates uh, 10 years ago, our first Christmas as roommates, we got each other the same gift. We got each other the DVD of the Muppet's Christmas Carol. That's right. Mostly so we could watch it together, but not, yeah. but not realizing that <laughs> we got it for each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. TV wise, I mean, obviously, Festivus every Festivus. staple every, every year. single year on the twenty third. Love rewatching that, putting up the poll. Uh, yeah. As far as other holiday themed things, I'd have to defer more to movies in this regard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. My yeah. favorite thing to do is actually less about which movie and more about just the idea of watching movies like this with somebody else. And I think it's especially fun if like one of the people involved hasn't seen whatever movie it is before. Mm -hmm. So like Bryn and I might watch a movie together that she has seen 10 times and I've never seen or vice versa. And last year for Christmas, we watched Die Hard, which Bryn had never seen before. And yeah. is te- technically is a Christmas movie. Which is wild, I know. No, Die Hard is full on a Christmas movie. It, I highly enjoyed it. And and then we watched uh, Dirty Dancing because he had never seen it. So. Yeah. And is, it, can, is, can we that say that not, Dirty is, Dancing is a Christmas it's movie? It's not a Christmas no. movie. I was going to say, what the fuck? It's a feel-good um, movie. Uh, Gremlins is a Christmas movie I like to watch a lot. <laughs> uh Gremlins is. I have not maybe. seen Gremlins since being a kid. We should watch oh. it, Eric. Oh, you definitely Let's should watch it. A new one for me is Michael Doherty's Krampus. Uh, oh. I think it is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it is a horror comedy that is super, super original, and uh, I think it has Conchetta Farrell in it. Oh man! Oh. All right, we definitely have to watch. And it. then, of course, there's the Hebrew Hammer. Ah, yeah. Uh. <laughs> but of course, the plot involves saving Christmas. <laughs> Earlier in the podcast, I mentioned I was drinking a really delicious uh, candy cane mocha, and I got it from one of my favorite local coffee shops. Uh, It's one of the locations of Ideal Coffee here in Toronto, and I just love to give a heartfelt thank you to them and to all the people working in and running small businesses anywhere in North America and across the world. I know it's a difficult time for you. Anytime I've shopped at a local business during this time, they're, they've always been so gracious and wonderful. And everyone out there, if you're not already doing so, if you can make a bigger effort to support small businesses, it would make such a huge difference to them. And, you know, just make you feel good about the choices of holiday and food shopping that you're making this year. 
Absolutely. I'll give a shout out to my absolute favorite place in the entire city of Toronto, which is the Sidekick. It is a wonderful coffee shop, as well as an amazing comic book store. And I highly recommend anybody who likes either comics or coffee to stop by because it is absolutely an amazing place. And it is just a wonderful small business. And you got to do it. You just got to support them right now because it's too easy to click on the old Amazon.com. And, uh... <laughs> and speaking of support, we'd also like to thank all of our listeners for coming on this journey with us over the course of 2020 so far. We started this podcast earlier this year. It was uh, a passion project for the three of us, and it has become a great way for us to connect and have some fun, joyful conversations about some pop culture things that we love to connect with and talk about over the course of the year. And we're very happy and humbled that all of you are listening to us talk about these things and enjoying this. And this has been such a joy for us, and we look forward to sharing many more episodes with you in the future. So thank you so much for listening. Yes, thank you so much, everybody. We first talked about the idea of doing this podcast as a trio at approximately Christmas time last, last year. year. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, huh. we did. Wow. I guess uh, we should close off this episode, although I could talk all day with both of you about holiday episodes and holiday content in general, but we got to stop at some point. And I guess the only way to do that is uh, to quote Cher Horowitz from the short-lived Clueless TV sitcom, Happy Whatever, everyone. Happy Whatever. Happy Whatever, everyone. <laughs> and cut to credits. That Was a Show is a production of Radio Gizmo. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on Instagram for info about upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed the show, tell your friends about it. Next time on That Was a Show... Again, they're building up the stakes of this like uh, like it's Apollo 13 or something. <laughs> they know that that's a joke. I hope so. I actually don't hate that that much. Ugh. It's just it's a lot of first drafts going on here. She is way out of his league. Like, why yeah. is she groveling at him? He's such a wiener. Oh. <laughs> Radio Gizmo.